Well, good afternoon, God Speak. Please open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19 and 20 for our message, What's in it for me? What's in it for me? You ever ask yourself that question? Some of you are married for a while. You're like, what, what's in it for me? What? You know, I, I, I joined up with this deal, and what, what, what's in it for me now? I'm not sure what that's all about. Hey, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our servants team will get you one. And uh, if you forgot your Bible, we're going through the Anchored series, and I just encourage you. We've had a number of people that have read through their Bible for the first time. Joining us in a two-year Bible reading, you can pick it up. The pamphlet, raise your hand if you need that Bible, and or you can look online on our website or our new app, our God Speak app. You can download that. But have you ever asked that question, what's in it for me? You know, when you go to a job, it's, it's usually pretty obvious, right? You do an interview, you're interviewing for a position, this is how much you're going to get paid, and it's usually pretty clear even though we're going to look at an illustration that is talking about the workforce, it actually is talking about our relationship in a different way with the Lord. But we'll contemplate that in a moment. You see, to give you a little background, Jesus has been ministering, he's traveling, and the rich young ruler comes up to him. He's rich, he's young, and he has authority. I mean, he's got a lot going for him, right? Rich, young, ruler. And you see somebody like that, and Jesus gives him the second table of the law, and he asks, oh, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, you know, honor your father and your mother, and he goes through the list, and he goes, well, I've done all that since my childhood. Jesus intentionally knows what's in this young ruler's heart, and then he goes to the first commandment. And he says, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now, I want you to know some preachers have used that line with people for uh, 2,000 years, but Jesus only talked to one person with that issue because money was the God of his heart. Money had a hold of his soul. And Jesus knew unless he forsook that God, he couldn't follow Jesus. Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. Mammon is the personification of worshiping money. And so this young man, he goes away, it says he, he went away sorrowful. And it says, Mark's gospel said Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus really loved this young guy. But the guy, he just couldn't bring himself to repent in that way. It's like, I want to hold on to my other God, which is my money, my possessions, everything. And I want to put you in my back pocket, Jesus, or for you to give me the... Um, the golden rule to get to heaven. But he leaves, and it's on the heels of this question. Here, uh, the disciples' jaw drops because they believe that everybody, this is kind of a, a cultural thing that is even uh, around today, it lingers around today, and that is if somebody has prospered in the nation of Israel, that means they're good and God has blessed them. And if somebody has not prospered, then they're not good and not walking with God. It's this this idea that it's the prosperity gospel of our day. If you know God, you'll be driving the pink Cadillac and you'll have a mansion and a jet and you'll have all these things. It's a prosperity gospel. And uh, if, you're, if you're struggling or you're poor, well, you don't have faith or you're not right with God, whatever that dynamic is. So the disciples, when they see this rich young ruler and Jesus, when he walks away, Jesus said, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. It's, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. 
And uh, I mean, if you could picture that, a sewing needle and a camel trying to get through there, you, a grinder would have to be involved, right? <laughs> to grind up the pieces to get it through there. That's not gonna work. There's also another illustration. They called it the needle gate, which was a very low gate. And a camel would have to strip all the stuff off his back and camels can crawl on their knees and go through the needle gate. Either way, Jesus was saying, you know, there's just not very many rich people make it into the kingdom because they'd rather trust in their money than to trust in God. But as the rich young ruler walked away, Peter says what all 12 of them are thinking. That's why we love Pete. Thanks, Pete. Pete gives us a lot of Bible studies because every time everybody's thinking it, but nobody dares say it. Do you have one of those friends that whatever goes through, they have no filter? It's just blah, blah. And they think that's their gift to say exactly what goes through their mind. Now, there should be a little bit of a, uh, a filter for all of our brains, shouldn't there? I mean, there, I think a lot of stuff, people have given me a hard time for my humor sometimes, and I smile and I look at them and I said, oh, if you know how much I hold back, <laughs> right, you would be very proud of me because I'm thinking a lot of stuff I simply just do not say because that's not right, Rick. That's not appropriate. You shouldn't say that. But Pete says what everybody's thinking. And that's what he says in the question in verse 27 of chapter 19, what's in it for me? Then Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? We've left everything, Jesus. We left our family business. And on one hand, you can say of Pete, Andrew, James, and John, I mean, the family business is boats and, and stinky fish. I mean, really, what'd you leave? I mean, what'd you really give up? Come, come on, guys, gutting fish all day, staying up all night fishing. I mean, was that a big sacrifice to come follow me, the son of God? But to them, that was their world. That was their heritage. That was the family business. And they did leave everything. They left Galilee to go wherever Jesus was when he went down to Judea. Or They just, the 12 had left everything to follow him. And you really, you don't know how all that's gonna turn out, right? You don't know how all that's all gonna turn out. And for many of us, we've never taken those big steps where we've just laid things behind us and just followed with reckless abandon and faith the Lord Jesus like these 12. And our hat's off to it and what they've done. But we wanna see how Jesus responds to this, right? Because Peter, in a very sanctified way, is just basically saying, yeah, but you told the rich young ruler to do X, Y, and Z. He did none of it. But we've, we've done everything. We've left everything for you. What will be the reward for me here and now and in eternity? Because you and I are concerned with this life and the one to come, both. It's not just about heaven. No, I, I gotta live in this world, right? So it's about temporal and eternal, temporal and eternal. So Jesus says, his answer in verse 28, so Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he deals with the eternal first. Now the regeneration is believed by most to mean the millennial reign of Christ, which is a thousand year period of time that Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem on a, in the regeneration, a renewed earth 
that Isaiah and various prophets speak about this period of time in the future, the thousand years follows the seven years of great tribulation. And in that period of time, it says a child will die when they're a hundred years old. There's going to be a longevity that begins to take place. And some believe it's just speaking about in heaven, but here it says that these 12 guys have left everything on this earth to follow Jesus. And he says, when you get into the eternal realm, you're going to have 12 thrones and you're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You guys get a position, here's your throne, and you get a dominion or something to do that is effective. You see, some people think, and it's, that's why they're not very motivated by heaven. Heaven's not only a destination, but it's a motivation. Am I just going to be up there on a cloud forever strumming a harp? I mean, what's, what am I going to be doing? But there is going to be effective ministry. I love the verse in Ephesians chapter 2. It says that God is going to reveal his grace to us throughout the ages. If God has used us effectively now, if he uses us in a meaningful way now, will he not do so through the millennial reign, through the eternal reign of Christ? As a matter of fact, you and I will have roles when we go to heaven based upon our faithfulness. It tells us in Revelation 2.27 to the church of Thyatira, to those who overcome, we get to rule and reign with Jesus with a rod of iron, that we have a role to play through that millennial kingdom period of time, which is going to be forced in uh, righteousness during a thousand year period of time. And so we're going to have a role. We're going to have a position. What those are, we don't know. The 12, they found out right here what's going to be going on. That's why I live with reckless abandon here to be faithful to what God has shown me and called me to do because I realize I live with the certainty that this period of time is coming. As much as it's real for me to look at your face here today, I believe in the eternal realm just as real. And I am living for that. When I live for that, I get the earth thrown in, meaning because I'm living for a heavenly purpose, God transforms my life in a daily way here. But then he talks about the temporal. So he just dealt with a promise for the 12, what's in it for me. You're going to get 12 thrones and you're going to have something meaningful to do. You're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then in verse 29, it says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So he talks about the eternal reward and then he talks about the temporal reward. So he says, if you've left a home to go serve the Lord somewhere, if you've left your family members to go serve the Lord somewhere, if you've left lands, this means you've left your country or you've left your state, you've left what is comfortable for you culturally, you've left that. So you've left your home, you've left your family and you've left what is culturally comfortable for you. He says, I'm going to bless you here and now a hundredfold. Meaning that there's no sacrifice you're going to make for me. You you won't sacrifice a home or relationships or even your own hometown, so to speak, without me blessing you a hundred times more here temporally and then eternal life, then giving you eternal life. I have had the privilege of living these verses out and I, like Peter, was so thankful to ask the question, what's in it for me, Lord? I remember as I began to serve the Lord and I was an assistant pastor in the Magic Valley of Idaho and I love the Magic Valley of Idaho. It's where I grew up. It's where my grandparents moved uh, just after the Great Depression and so both sides of my family are there 
And I was driving through the fields. It was the summertime of 1990. And as we were driving through the fields, it was a summer. And the summers in Idaho are just spectacular. It's like, you know, the, the sun's about ready to go down. We're going through the farmland where my wife and I grew up. And she's sitting, we're going for a drive. And I look over at her. I, I still remember distinctly. I said, wow, I, I love the Magic Valley. I would... I would never leave here, I told Tammy, unless God told me to. Fast forward a couple of months, and God tells me to. And I remember just thinking, as the Lord started stirring on my heart to go start a church in Pocatello, Idaho, which we grew up calling Smokatello, Idaho, because they had these fertilizer factories, and in the wintertime, there's these inversions, and it just, the stench is just terrible. And uh, FMC, FMC and Simplot, and the Lord calls me to go there to start a church. And I, I really did it in protest in a sense in my soul. I'm like, well, I guess this is what it means to forsake what I love to go to Smokotello. And it's kind of a tired old railroad town. And I was just like, well, you just pick up your cross, deny yourself and go follow him. Yay, Pocatello, let's go. And I'm telling my wife, the Lord's calling us to do it. My wife's like, Pocatello? Right? And, and so we go there, and I'm just thinking, Lord, I'm going to be obedient. And, and I started looking at this promise. And the Lord, I'm leaving my family. I'm leaving my home. I'm leaving uh, the, the home that we had just bought and fixed up. I, I'm leaving, you know, my, my siblings and Tammy's folks and various things. And, and then through a series of events going there and planting a church and were there for a short period of time and got established a church and a radio ministry and did a lot very quickly. Then the Lord called me to go to San Jose and serve there. I'm like, wow, we just got here and just got established and the Lord's calling me there. It's like, ay, ay, ay. ay. And so we got the, the rider trucks, you know, packed with all of our stuff. But I'm thinking about this promise. I'm thinking about, okay. I didn't want to go to Smokotello, but any better is better than Pocatello. Right? <laughs> Lord, deliver me from Pocatello, Idaho. Right? And so we're going to go to San Jose and serve the Lord. We have to go there and live in Sunday school rooms because they, there's not, not enough money to pay staff. You have to live in the Sunday school room. We had to eat out of the food pantry for the Tammy. had to wait out in the line with the homeless people to get a bag of groceries to get through our week because we were, the church was in, in such desperate situation. And we're in the rider truck, and, and I got Tammy and the kids there, they're, they're in the car, they're going to follow me. And my mother-in-law comes out and she just, she's just weeping. She just, her chin's quivering and she's crying. And she's like, Rick, please, please don't take my babies. Now she didn't care that Tammy and I went to California, but she had two grandkids and she didn't want the grandkids to leave. And she was, sincerely, she was pulling on the waterworks. She was doing everything she can to divert me. And I just looked at her and I said, Lana, I got to do what Jesus wants me to do. It wasn't my idea to go to Pocatello, Idaho. It wasn't my idea to go to San Jose. It was God's. But this promise, I've been living this promise, right? So now I got to go from Idaho to the Bay Area. right, for the Idaho kid, and live in Sunday school rooms with 1970s long green shag carpet. Our daughter, who's a baby, she's, an, she's like in a closet. Her room's a, a closet, literally. 
And we are there for a year and a half. And then the Lord calls me back to Idaho Falls, Idaho. I'm like, shee, at least it's Idaho. But all along, there's no sacrifice. I've never given up land or family, relationships, a house without God blessing us a hundredfold. That doesn't mean I have a hundred houses now. Doesn't mean I have a hundred parents now, but I do have a lot more rich relational lives in my life because of this. And I, my family has expanded because of this. And God has blessed me materially and financially because I've always flipped homes. That's what my wife and I did for 25 years. And God just blesses us. And we, you know, just go through homes and we sell them and we make a profit and we sell them and make a profit and sell them and make a profit. And God just blessed us. Just exactly like the promise says. You thought you were giving up something. Can I share something with you? You will never give up something for God that he doesn't open the windows of heaven and pour out such a superior blessing. You forgot all about like, uh, I sacrificed what? I forgot what I sacrificed. I don't even remember. But because people don't walk by faith, they don't experience this. Because this is a pretty ginormous, right? When you're uprooting your family and all those things. But then he gives this principle. And I want you to understand this concept and this principle. And this is what Jesus is trying to share with them. Because right now, Peter is asking what's in it for me. But, you know, my human motives and my spiritual motives can get a little mixed up. So Jesus wants to clarify. He wants to straighten me out. He wants to straighten Peter and the apostles out. So you have a clear mind about these things. So he says in verse 30, this is the principle. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, in this life, as a preacher... I am considered last. If you look at any preacher that's on TV, a movie, whatever it is, they're always depicted as absolute buffoons, charlatans, ripoffs, or some kind of psycho, right? It's a cultural thing to diss the preacher. Is it a badge of honor? No. It's about a badge of dishonor to the world. But to be successful in business, if you think about the, in this world, the Bill Gates and the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Warren Buffetts and uh, the Jeff Bezos and all of these, they are first in this world. They got their jets. Have you seen the new yacht that Jeff Bezos has? Spectacular yacht, right? It's like when I was a kid, I used to watch this show when I was really bored. It was called Robin Leach's Rich and Famous. Any of you ever see that? as a Robin Leach is rich and famous. And here we are on the yacht and they have golden toilet seats. Isn't that phenomenal, ladies and gentlemen, here on Robin Leach's rich and famous. And I used to think, wow, what kind of wealth has golden toilets and, go I mean, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> Does it flush? I'm just concerned that the thing flush. That's all I care about. I just want it to do its job, right? Just, just flush. And so all of these people are thought to be first in this world. And you're thought to be first if you have a lot of servants on your staff, right? These people serve you hand and foot. So in this world, the first, you and I are last. But those roles reverse when we go to heaven, brothers and sisters. We will be first. And unless they know Jesus, which I'm not judging their soul, that's between them and God, there's not a lot of fruitfulness, I could say. As a fruit inspector, I am a glorified fruit inspector. Doesn't look like a lot of fruit going on over there. 
Nobody's talking about Jesus in that circle unless they're using his name in vain, correct? So in this next world, you're gonna be first, brothers and sisters. Do you feel in your family you're the black sheep because you love Jesus and the rest of the family doesn't? You're last, right? You're last. You're the Christian on the team that every, you're the butt of everybody's jokes because you're the, you're the Christian, when I worked on a construction crew with a very large construction crew, I was the butt of the jokes every break time with the guys. Oh, we got the Christian in here. I mean, they would just like, it did, we never had a break time where, without them poking fun at me. I was their little whipping post. I just smile, I didn't care because I was looking for my heavenly reward. I don't need your smile. I, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I wanna get along. It's not like I'm being a jerk. But if you simply hate me for my faith, I can't fix that. And I'm not going to deny it. So what am I going to do? I guess I'll take it. Because one day, the tables will turn. And in heaven, you and I will be first. And they will be lost. But Jesus wants to build this out even a little bit more because you and I can get a little confused about this within the Christian realm. So he gives now a parable called the parable of the landowner. There's no chapter or verse breaks within the scriptures. This would just flow. Jesus is just talking about this because at the end of this parable, he's gonna say, therefore, the first will be last and the last will be first. He repeats this. So this is the point to illustrate what he's talking about. So the illustration in verses one through seven, check this out. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. This is 6 a.m. in the morning. If you know, six days a week, the Jewish workday was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., six days a week. You think you got it rough? They work 72 hours a, day, a week. This is just the normal work of the Jewish structure with laborers. So he goes at six in the morning. They have these day laborers. Now, a day laborer, if you've ever picked up day laborers, if you want, say you've got some yard work here in Thousand Oaks. Where are you going to go pick up your day labor? Well, you go right down to New Hampshire and uh, 101. There's a little park right there. And if you drive by there, there's going to be 10, 15, 20 workers, day workers that are just standing there waiting for you to pick them up, tell them how much you're going to pay them for the day. And most communities, it, it's Home Depot. Like if you go to San Jose, it's Home Depot. You go there, I need three guys. We're gonna haul out a bunch of garbage. I'm gonna go hire three guys for the day. At the end of the day, I'm gonna pay them. Day labor. Well, they had day labor back then. The reason it's not Home Depot here in TO, Thousand Oaks has a designated park. That park right there is designated for their day laborers to go to. So he goes to uh, the day labor spot. 6 a.m., and he agrees with them. Now, the, when he starts the day, he negotiates, because you do this with these guys, right? It's, it's a little bit of a haggling. Say, hey, man, I'll, uh, I'll give you 50 bucks today. No, it won't work for less than 100. You go back and forth, back and forth. Okay, you settle on something, and then at the end of the day, you're gonna pay them for that. So he agrees with these guys at 6 a.m. Okay, they throw out their number, and he goes, okay, I'll pay you a denarius a day, which was the daily wage for a soldier. So it was a decent, let's, let's just call it the, a solid minimum wage. They get a denarius for the day. So they're right on, but he's gonna go back. This is important for you to, say, to recognize up front. He only agrees with the first people at 6 a.m. He's gonna go back four different times and continue to get laborers because he needs more workers. So they all are starting work at different times. Look at it in verse two. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers, excuse me, verse three, and he went out about the third hour, that'd be 9 a.m., 
and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and notice he doesn't, he doesn't bargain at a, a price with them. He says, whatever is right, I will give you. Notice those are two different standards. The first one went to work, agreed to a denarius a day. He just tells these guys, they by faith go, okay, he's gonna give us whatever's right. I guess we gotta trust him, his character, hopefully he's a good guy. So they went in verse five, again, he went out again, the sixth, that's at noon and the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And he did likewise. And about the 11th hour, 5 p.m., there's only one hour of work left. He went out and found others standing idle. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day. And they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. Notice this phrase, everybody that came after the 6 a.m., whatever is right, you will receive. So you have this scenario and these first seven verses all laid out. That's, that's the work scene. Imagine you're there, you're at 6 a.m. Any of you Ever been in a, a labor construction type of thing when it's oh dark 30, you show up at 5.45, you're gonna get the rig. I tore out a, a railroad track with a bunch of guys when I was 18 years old, just out of high school. We had to show up at the Depot Grill. The Depot Grill is an iconic greasy spoon restaurant in our town. You show up in the parking lot at 6 a.m. and they fill two pickups with uh, <laughs> uh, all the riffraff of town, which I was one of the riffraff. Okay. And we're in the back of these trucks, you know, like eight guys in the back of pickups going out to these uh, places where we would either sort railroad ties. It was, you did 10 hours a day, four days a week. So 10 fours. And, and uh, (laughs) when you go out in construction, you get paid every Friday, but in this, you're going to get paid each day. But imagine you go to work at 6 a.m., But through the day, you see this guy come at 9 a.m. You see three or four, they come at noon. You see three or four, five, six, they come at three o'clock. And then there's this group of guys that show up at 5 p.m. There's only an hour of work left. Now it's hot out. You've been been working your butt off since 6 a.m. And these guys are like all just kind of trickling in. Now you would like to say, you just keep your head down and mind your own business, but you don't do that, do you? Because you're human. You start comparing your hard work and how early you got there and how much you're doing with everybody else and you do it all day long. And in your mind, you have this little tally sheet on who's really getting the job done, don't you? Right, in the office, the lazy person that talks to their boyfriend for three hours till the boss walks in and then they start typing like they're doing something. Right? The person that's just standing around chewing the fat till they see the boss pull in and then they grab a broom, you know, they're, they're going to go to work. The Bible calls that eye service. There are people that they don't work unless the eyes are upon them to work. Imagine you have to really get yourself in these guys' sandals because you're, work, you're harvesting, in, you're working in a vineyard. It's hard work. And when you work 12 hours, I mean, you're exhausted. And you're really concerned that everybody else is pulling their weight, right? If you feel like you're doing more than others, you'll either be tempted, well, nobody else is working. You know, I'm just going to kind of pull back too. Or if you're just focused on your relationship with your boss, you're just going to give your best. That's why the Bible says to work as unto the Lord. I'm not working for the boss. I show up and I'm answering to the boss, but I'm really working as unto the Lord. So I want to do my best. But the difficulty with that (coughs) is that you're usually more concerned with what's going on for everybody else than you are yourself. 
And this is a human problem. And all the way through it, you see, if Jesus says the first shall be last and the last shall be first, you see all the way through your life, from the time you wake up in the morning till the time you go to bed at night, in your fallen sinful nature, you're going through life, whether you speak it out or not, saying, me first. Me first. Me first. And when husbands and wives and coworkers and classmates and teammates and everybody wakes up in their own selfish skin going through life saying, me first, how's that go? Is that a good, pleasant experience? Right? If you have children, you know what I mean. Right? They're always concerned with who's first. Shotgun! And there's a full knockdown, drag out fight with your three kids over shotgun. It's like the car behind it arrives up. The seat behind it you always arrive at the same time. Like, what's, what's the big deal? But you, in your sophisticated adulthood, you're still going through life, me first, in the office place, because you are motivated by your own self-interest. And fooey on anybody else, if they do better than you, you will not tolerate it. If they do worse than you, you're all, well, you poor, poor thing. But if they do better than you, oh, how dare they? Check this out. Jesus is going to unpack some things about our human hearts. And there's some really valuable lessons here for us as we evaluate this and the Lord illuminates this by his spirit for our hearts and our lives. And there's three words I want you to think about. It's faith, focus, and freedom. First faith, verses eight and nine. So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them wages, their wages, beginning with the last first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, 5 p.m., so the very last people to get hired were going to get paid first at 5 p.m., they did the least amount of work, they each received a denarius. They got the full day's wage. Wait, they only worked one hour the guy that started at 6 a.m., he worked 11 hours more than this guy that got one. Verse 10, but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more and they likewise received each a denarius. As soon as the guys that went to work at 6 a.m. saw the guy that went to work at 5 p.m. get a full day's wage, a denarius, they immediately had an expectation. What was that expectation? That expectation was, well, if he gives them a denarius for one hour, when we get there, we're going to make 12 denarius, right? We're, he's going to pay us more. That was their assumption. Have you ever heard the little adage, when you assume things that makes a ASS out of you? Have you ever lived that out? I've lived that out. Have you ever lived that out? I've lived that out. I've been the AS many, many times because I made an assumption that got me into trouble. It was an incorrect assumption. These guys are making an incorrect assumption. Expectations, wrongly held expectations, is premeditated resentment. Meaning when I put an expectation on you or a situation that I fabricated, I created it. It's, it's amazing. I have a gift for writing these expectations in my mind. And just applying them to everybody. I got an expectation for you, and I got an expectation for you. And uh, as soon as you let me down from that expectation, I'm going to resent you. So I'm just practicing in advance because you're going to let me down. So assumptions and expectations that are not informed, it's like a figment of your own imagination. 
And where does the motivation from that expectation come from? Why do you have an over, I, I try to tell young people that are just getting married, like don't have an over expectation of each other because they have this, I mean, they've watched too many rom-coms. <laughs> I mean, they literally, they, they, they think, you know, every night I'm going to come home and we're going to have a glass of wine on the bearskin rug. And your husband shows up and he works in construction and is stinky and his belly sticking out to here and his name's Bubba. Bubba shows up, hey baby. <laughs> Bubba's not thinking of a bearskin rug in your glass, you know what I mean? You, the, the expectation, they're, they're, you're, gonna, you're gonna have resentment. And, and so these assumptions and these expectations, why, why do they rise in us? Because we wake up in the morning and you know what bubbles up in me that, uh, that basically tints and colors my expectations of my assumptions? Me first. How are you gonna serve me? How's this gonna go for me? What's in it for me, right? What's in it for me? Yo, do you really? Now, I don't wake up consciously saying that, but the way I react to all the life around me is basically saying me first. I have to consciously pray and say, Lord, give me a heart to serve others. I wanna serve God and I wanna serve others. I wanna love God and I wanna love my wife and serve her. I wanna love God, I wanna serve the people. It's this conscious thing that I have to pray that the Holy Spirit empowers me to have a you first rather than a me first. And this changes the expectation, the assumptions that are destroying so many people. Some people go through years of their life and the only thing that is self-destructing all of their relationships are the me first assumptions and expectations that they're casting out and heaping up on other people. And it happens at work in the workplace, right? Happens at work. This is a work environment that Jesus has given us an illustration of. And now these guys that agreed to go to work at 6 a.m. only get one denarius and a guy that worked one hour instead of 12 hours gets the same wage. I'm calling my union rep. We're gonna have a strike. This is not right. This is not fair and equitable. And this is the first thing that you hear shouted out. And this is, if you're really connected to reality, when people say this, and adults say, it's just not fair. And you just, have you discovered that life's not fair? (laughs) Can I be the first to burst your bubble? If you're 56 years old and you don't know that life's not fair, your mama didn't love you. Because your mama should have told you that when you were four. Life is not fair. And humans have this innate... Now, now if you're more blessed than your coworkers, do you think these guys that worked an hour and got a day's worth of wage, do you think they're upset? They're like, woo! It's the best gig ever, right? I got a day's wage. Man, this, 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 I'm, I'm always going to work for this landowner because this guy's the most generous, gracious. Oh, does something start to ring true here? This whole illustration. Now, can I back up for a moment? In the work environment, Jesus is using a physical work environment to teach us a spiritual lesson, which if you go and apply part of this message, you're going to get fired this week. Okay, so I want, I want to correct a couple of misconceptions you may have. First of all, 
It's important that you show up on time, work hard, keep your head down, don't worry about what anybody else is doing, and, and not be the, the, the complainer. Because in the workplace, merit is what will move you ahead. Your own work, your own work ethic, those things, and you will have, obviously, grace and favor, hopefully, from managers and supervisors and owners and those various things. But here in this illustration, who is the landowner? God. Who are the workers? Us as Christians. This, this parable is not about salvation because you never work for your salvation. So it's not about salvation. It's about one day, because remember Peter's question, what's in it for me, right? That's what prompted all this. How are you gonna be rewarded one day in heaven from your Christian life? Do you expect to be rewarded in heaven when you get there? The Bible teaches these dynamics of the Christian life. But how, how, how do we view that? What's our assumption about spiritual things? What's our expectation of the Lord? And he's trying to share with us here that these people that came last, I said there's three words to focus on. This one's faith. And we experience grace through faith. That Jesus wants to interact with us. God wants to interact with us based upon our faith and his grace I don't come to the Lord ever, ever, ever and say, I deserve fill in the blank. Brothers and sisters, do we really want to talk about what you and I deserve? Do you, do you really want to approach God that way? What do you deserve? Hell. That's what you deserve. I deserve judgment. I deserve hell. I don't deserve one single blessing from God. I'm a fallen, broken sinner apart from his grace. But by faith, when I put my faith and trust in him, and I trust, I'm not trying to wrangle, wrangle or haggle as the guy that went to work at 6 a.m. He wants to basically have a contract with God. God, if I do this, then you do that. And if you break this contract, then, you know, blah, 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 blah. So you either approach God in your service for him, brothers and sisters, based upon a law, kind of I earn and deserve, sign on the dotted line, or I believe and receive based in grace, based in God's character. If I have a hundred chances, a thousand chances, I will always approach God believing and receiving and just trusting his generous nature. There's a greeting that some people give when you come to church, you go, how you doing? Oh, better than I deserve, right? Because God's good. But we're not only treated better than we deserve, oftentimes God gives us more than we deserve. Grace is this abounding kindness, this abounding favor that is not based in me, in my perfection, in, in my efforts. It is based in his nature, in his character, He's just good. And I can either have this legal relationship with God that lots of Christians have, and their favorite words are not fair, and they're just really devastated people because they go through life judging everything now and evaluating everything now. And as Paul the Apostle said, judge nothing before it's time. You don't know what God's doing, right? So you either approach God by faith in grace, and that's what the people that came at 5 p.m., at 3 p.m., at noon, and 9 a.m., what did he say to them? I'll give you whatever's right. And they go, okay, we trust you. We, we trust you. Whatever you want to do, God, we trust you. 
And when you have that attitude, it's a trust and faith and may he be gracious to us because I'm not operating on this earning and deserving in my relationship with God, but believing and receiving. And this is what separates people from not only the quality of life they get to enjoy in their own souls every day, but also the quality of life moving forward as they interact with other people. Because if I'm simply believing and receiving God's grace for my life, then I also want to believe that for you. I want to let God do what he's going to do in your life without, it's not my judge, job to determine how blessed you should be or how unblessed you should be. That's, that's God's business. So the person of faith that runs in their own lane, I'm not worried about to the person on my right or left. I'm just, I'm just running in this race, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith and letting him pour out the blessings in my life as I in simple obedience want to be his servant in his vineyard. I'm working in his vineyard, right? I'm serving you, Lord. You're so good. Now look what happens, the focus in verse 11. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Now is what they're saying true? Yes, they did bear the burden. They were there all day when it was super hot. They did all of that, but they were focused, they're focused now on what God gave somebody else. Now, if God chooses to bless another person, if, if, if my boss, my superior, if my superior chooses to promote a coworker, he chooses to double his wages, he chooses to do any of that, why should I go home grumbling and complaining? Why should that man's blessing diminish my quality of life today? Why do I feel slighted even though I might, in a, in a real sense, I might work harder than that person. I might be faithful. I might show up earlier. I might work later. I might be more diligent. But for whatever reason, the supervisor, the owner looks at that person and they choose to give them the higher wage, to give them the bigger position. Why should that diminish my life? Why should I complain about that? Haven't I agreed to work for what I'm working for? Right? Haven't I agreed to work? I, I agreed to work for what I'm working for. So this, this shows this, this real conundrum. And, and the Proverbs say that envy is like rottenness in the bones. Envy is when I look at the blessing of another person. Oftentimes you hear people conflate or confuse th these two words. Jealous, oh, they're jealous of you, or they're envious. You know, they're, they're two different words and they two mean two different things. When I'm jealous, I want to keep something that I have. There's a healthy jealousy that a, a, a husband and a wife have with each other. A healthy, not the psycho jealousy, right? Not, I mean, not fatal attract, like crazy people. But I mean... If somebody shows undue, they're, they're a man, and they show undue affection towards my wife in a way that's uncomfortable, I'm going to be talking to that person because there's just a health. I want to, I'm jealous for Tammy's heart. The Bible says that God is a jealous God. And what does he mean by that? He means he's jealous for your heart. He wants all of your heart. He doesn't want you giving your heart away to other people, right? So, Jealousy wants to keep what you have. Envy is the feeling of bitter displeasure at the blessing of another. You hate the person and you want the blessing they got. It's a really weird emotion. 
I'm very familiar with it. Are you familiar with it? Right? It's oozed out of every pore in my life before. And, and so in, these, are, these, are, these are human emotions that you, in, in a fallen sinful world, you have to deal with. I used to go to pastor's conferences in the early 90s, when I, actually the late 80s, when I was a young pastor. And I would go to these pastor's conferences, and I would be envious of the guys that get a preach because I wanted to be a preacher and they had the opportunity to be the preacher. So I felt this displeasure at that person because they got the opportunity that I wanted to. And I went to a couple of conferences like that and I would come back just seriously depressed. And so I just started talking to the Lord. I was trying to figure out what was going on inside of me. I couldn't even figure it out. I didn't know. And, and the Lord just started dealing with my heart about envy. And the Lord just told me, hey, why don't you rejoice with those who rejoice and, and weep with those who weep? If, if somebody's blessed and gets an opportunity, you should be happy for them. And if somebody's devastated by some hard thing in their life, then you should be compassionate for them, show empathy for them. I'm like, oh, okay. So the next conference I went to, I was just praying for the blessing of the, you know, the Lord on this guy that's going to preach. And I was so happy. And, and whoever I got to talk to, I was just happy to be there. I'm just showing up. Why? Because I put a me first in going to a pastor. Let me tell you, pastors are weird, twisted people. <laughs> I am one, I know. They're envious, they're competitive, they're all these things that you experience, they are too. Just, but we can say, praise God, at the end of whatever our emotion is, right? It's, it's kind of this weird little cloak. But so their focus, I want you to know, if you came in here today and you were a frustrated person, you came in here feeling like the world is over. I can simply ask you, what is the me first attitude that is diminishing your joy? What is the me first attitude that you want somebody else to be last and you want to be in that me first position is, gonna, is diminishing your joy? And people go through life and they're looking at everybody else well, he gets that and he's blessed that way. And, oh, she gets that. And how come they have the beautiful new home? And how come they got the new car? And how come they got the promotion? And how come their kids are great kids? And how come ours are in jail? And how come, you know, right? You just go through like, you just, how come? How come? How come? You're just, you're just going through. And what you're, where, is your focus in the right place? Because your focus is on everybody else, but just you and the Lord and you being last so that you might be first. And that as long as I know I'm right with Jesus today, it's none of my business what God's doing in your life. It's just none of my business. If something cool's going on, share with me because I'll rejoice with you. And if something hard's going on and you're crying, I'll weep with you. And in that, my soul is free in a way that it's never been free. But these workers aren't free. They're getting ready to call their union rep unfair wage practices. What's the charge? The boss is too generous with people I don't like. <laughs> Have you ever discovered that God blesses people you disagree with? That's kind of a weird thing. That's a weird thing, right? The people even in your neighborhood, they don't even know God and they got the nicer car and the nicer house. And for whatever reason, they don't have brown spots on their lawn, but you do, <laughs> right? If you go through life focused 
on everybody else. Sometimes it happens in a family. You have a brother or sister and they're the golden child. They're just like everything they touch, touch. They're just, they're just so blessed. And you go, oh, we gotta go listen to his stories of Thanksgiving. <laughs> gotta hear about his new promotions and his new Hawaii home. Well, well, let's go, Martha. Let's go listen to Bobby tell us all about his great successes for Thanksgiving. But if you really loved your brother, you would go there, right on, I gotta go celebrate with my brother that God's just really blessing him. Even if he doesn't know God, God's blessing him. He doesn't even acknowledge it. It's called common grace. God's just good to the ungodly. If it rains on my grass and makes it green, the atheist that lives behind me, you know what? It rained on his grass too. (laughs) Right? It's just the way it works. So faith is approaching God based on his character, based upon grace, and not my merit. Focus is I need to focus on the Lord and what he's called me to do and run in the lane of life that he has for me and only rejoice with people that are blessed outside of that or weep with those who are struggling with things. But it's not my business whether they're to be unhappy based upon their blessings. Lastly, freedom in verse 13 through 16. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I love how the Lord addresses this guy. You ever been with one of those bitter complainers? They're just, everything's miserable with life. And Jesus goes, friend, (laughs) I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things Or is your eye evil because I am good? He just takes this guy's complaint apart very strategically and logically. He says, hey, friend, I'm not doing you any wrong. Didn't you and I agree? Didn't didn't we have an agreement? You wanted to go with the contract? I'm like, okay, we got an agreement. It's a contract, a denarius for the day. So I've done you no wrong. Take your denarius, go your way, take your complaints away with you. And when I show up at the day labor spot tomorrow, I'm not picking you (laughs) because you're a complainer. But he says, I've done you no wrong. This freedom is God's freedom to do whatever he chooses to do with the people around your life. This is God's freedom. He wants to bless the coworker. He wants to bless your neighbor. He wants to bless a family member. He wants to bless people you disagree with. He wants to pour out his blessing. It's not my job to figure out God's freedom with his sovereignty. He's sovereign. He's in charge. I'm not in charge. So who am I to tell God, that God, that's not fair that I have this and that person over there has that. God's free to do whatever he wants. His sovereignty and the mystery of why he doesn't. I have been mystified, haven't you? Do you know know some Christians that you think are barely saved and they just keep being blessed? You know any of those people? They just shock you. You're like, this person, I mean, he just he's not very obedient, he's not this, he's not that, she's not this, she's not that, and God just keeps just pouring out the blessings on their life, and I'm over here trying to be Mr. Obedient, trying to do all of this stuff, and the, I've just given up on the mystery of why God does what he does. He says, twice here, he says, it's none of your business if I do what I wish. I want to be good. I want to be generous. This last guy, I wanted to be generous to him, so that's what I'm going to do, and it's none of your business. Thank you very much. 
And don't you wish you just had this voice inside your head to help you, guide you through every day when you're struggling with your attitudes? The Lord just to, to straighten me out in all of this. But then he says at the very end, or is your eye evil because I am good? An evil eye is the picture of greed. It is the picture of envy. It's the picture of everything that's negative because through my eye gate is I focus on what I don't have. But you do have what I don't have. It gives me bad vision, meaning that it has a bad effect inside of me if I'm focused on that. So Jesus says, you know what? You don't want to have an evil eye, right? Many of us move through life with an evil eye. Just worried about everybody else. It's amazing how everybody else in the world is robbing me of my joy. Because of their blessing, their opportunities, their promotions, their positions, their possessions, everything. If I focus on them, my eye becomes contaminated with envy. Because once again, at the end of the day, an evil eye is dominated by one principle. Me first. How come I'm not first? How come you're first and I'm not first? And he ends like we began in verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Therefore, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, what do you do? You choose the last position to serve other people. That's true greatness. And in heaven, then we'll be first. And those people that this world thinks is first will be last. That's just the way it's going to work. In our service for the Lord, this is how it's going to be. I, I'm called to whatever God calls me to do. I'm going to be faithful with that. But I'm not going to worry about what everybody else around me is called to do unless it's part of my oversight, like I have to oversee them. Because it's really none of my business. Their service is going to be rewarded one day. I'm going to do my service by faith, through grace, by believing and receiving, not earning and deserving. I don't have a contract with God. I just cast myself on his character of goodness and grace. And my focus is going to be on Jesus and not everybody else around me. And I know that he has the freedom to do whatever he wants. He's going to give the rewards where he wants them. He's going to, he's going to give positions where he wants to. God, I'm going to let God be God. And the mystery of his grace blows me away all the time because I'm also a recipient of that grace. So people have been mystified by what God's done in my life. They go, whoa, we know Rick. There's no way he deserves that blessing. I know, but God's gracious, right? That's why he's doing it. So I've been a recipient of that grace as well. There was a missionary who had been serving the Lord for 40 years in Africa. And he shows up in the New York Harbor and on this uh, big steamship coming back, he didn't realize that Teddy Roosevelt uh, was also on the same ship and that he had been big game hunting. So when he's out on the deck and, and there's just a huge mob that is there on the, uh, at the harbor to welcome back Teddy Roosevelt from his big game hunt. And the crowd's waving and, and uh, he's out there with his, his wife and he's kind of excited there might be somebody in the crowd there that knows him and he's been serving the Lord for 40 years. And, uh, Teddy Ro and then Teddy Roosevelt goes off and the big mob follows him. And, and nobody's there to even greet them after all their faithful years of serving the Lord. And they go to a cheap hotel in the town before they're going to make their way back to their, their home and where they're going to live now in retirement. And they're in the hotel that night and the, the husband just, he, he just couldn't take it anymore. He looked at his wife and he said, 
And it's so unfair, right? Notice the word unfair. It's so unfair. We've been serving the Lord with all of our heart, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, pouring our lives out for 40 years on the continent of Africa for God's glory. And not one single person showed up to welcome us home. And his wife looked at him with a big smile and said, well, honey, you and I aren't home yet. Because that's not gonna happen until you get to heaven. If you're looking for your reward here, you'll always be disappointed. But Jesus does say that if you give up things, you will receive things, temporal, uh, the temporal and the eternal as well. So we won't outgive God. God blesses in both. And I have lived the life to declare this, this passage is true. And it's gonna, gonna continue to be true because God's word is true. What's in it for you? Keep your eyes on the Lord by faith. Trust his generous nature. Don't focus on the blessings of people around you and realize God is sovereign and free to do whatever he wants to do with his stuff. And you are gonna have a joyful night tonight, even if you came in here without joy this morning or this afternoon because everybody else is diminishing your quality of life. Did you know that no other person has the power to diminish my quality of life? I give away my quality of life by my own me first attitude. Because where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will be every evil thing. It becomes a dark swirl of emotional turmoil and there's no joy there. Keep our eyes on the Lord. One day we're gonna be home and we're gonna hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. You're so faithful. Pray that you would just build us up and strengthen us, Lord, right now as we, uh, we follow you. Lord, I just, wanna, I just wanna pray for my brothers and sisters. I know it's so easy that assumptions and expectations can rob us of genuine joy. And so, Lord, as we get realigned, we get refocused on you, as we look unto you, the author and finisher of our faith, Lord Jesus, we pray that we could run this race that is before us with a singleness of heart and mind looking unto you. Lord, give us a new grace to be able to celebrate with the blessings of others in our lives and to weep with those who are heartbroken. Lord, correct and forgive us, Lord, for our envy, for our uh, misplaced expectations that produce so much sorrow in our own hearts. Lord, deliver us from ourselves. We're a mess, Lord, and we need your grace to help us grow through it and to have the understanding. Uh, to see it for what it is. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.